Hi, and welcome to the Redeemer Church Podcast. I'm so glad that you're listening today. At Redeemer, we are committed to connecting people to God's transforming love, and I hope that this podcast is just one more way that you connect to God's presence this week. We are in week 10 of our study of the book of John. We're spending 15 weeks together this summer studying this book and learning more about what it has to say about our lives today. We're doing this both through our weekend sermons, but also through daily devotionals that we have posted online every day at RedeemerTulsa.org slash John, and we have a print version of those devotionals available for pickup at the church. So right now, here is week number 10 of our study with Pastor Adam Barnett. Well, hello, my friends. We are in week 10 of our Gospel of John study, so turn with me to John chapter 11. And you can also turn to page 83 in your John devotional if you would uh, like to take notes today. As you turn there, I do want to admit, like many other staff members here at Redeemer, we are tired of talking to this camera. I picture you here in this sanctuary right now. I miss your faces. I miss greeting you at the front door. I miss worshiping shoulder to shoulder with you, and I hope that you and your families are well. We are hopeful as a church to reopen soon, and Bill and I and our staff and our leadership team are in constant prayer and dialogue with one another uh, as we really look to the Lord for wisdom, and we would ask you to be praying for us that we would receive guidance from the Lord in the days ahead. Speaking of looking at this camera right now, our entire team has been on camera for months now, and thankfully we have Billy Adams to make cuts and edits when necessary, but next week, Billy will have a treat for you. Uh, Next Sunday at church, whether here or online, you'll be able to watch a blooper reel of all of the clips that we wish Billy Adams would have deleted. I hope you enjoy laughing at us, as we've had plenty of chances over the last few months to laugh at ourselves and at each other. So far in John, we have witnessed multiple miracles that invite readers to have faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus has shown his power over human illness and natural elements and time and space and even food and drink. But John 11 is unique because here Jesus reaches beyond this life and touches territory that only belongs to God, and that is death and eternal life. His friend Lazarus was dead And Jesus comforted his sisters, Mary and Martha, that day. And so they go to the tomb where we read that Jesus was deeply moved and troubled. The Greek here does not imply pain or grief or empathy, but instead that Jesus may have been angry, felt outrage, or even agitation. Perhaps Jesus was angry at sin and death that separates us from him or the agony that it brought to Lazarus' sisters there in that moment. But here we see John eleven thirty five, 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, and it shows the emotional intensity of this moment. Jesus wept. He wasn't weeping for Lazarus, or at least I don't think he was, because he knew what was about to happen. But maybe he was weeping with his friends, weeping for his friends. Or maybe even he was also weeping over the unbelieving city that would deny that he's Lord, the city that would reject him, or over the darkness that blinds people from the truth. 
You likely know what happened next in this story in verse 43. We read that Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And in verse 44, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. As a result of this miracle, much like many other miracles that we read about in the New Testament, many people put their faith in Jesus Christ, which then the result of that is it forced the religious authorities to act. And so the Jewish court met and they began to wonder together, what shall we do about this man? We've got to put a stop to his ministry. We've got to put a stop to these miracles. The more he does ministry and miracles among us, the more people will come and believe in him and follow him. And they were paranoid of this because if that happened, the masses come and begin to believe in Jesus, this movement could become a threat to Rome. So in verse 57, we read that the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. So here we turn our attention to chapter 12, and this is a pivotal turning point in this gospel. So I want to offer a few key insights on chapter 12. This commences Jesus' final week. Two events happen. He's anointed in Bethany and welcomed in Jerusalem. And then his two messages in John chapter 12 are his last two sermons to this larger Jewish and Gentile audience. After the 12th chapter, Jesus focuses on discipleship and preparation of those who were closest to him. In chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, we find Jesus' farewell discourses to his disciples only. In chapter 17, we read his prayer for his disciples, his prayer for the church. In chapter 18, he's arrested. In 19, he speaks from the cross to his mother and the beloved disciple. And in chapters 20 and 21, we read his resurrection messages, again, to his friends only. So chapter 12 is his final passionate appeal to all of the people gathered there in the city for the Passover. His final appeal, come and listen to me, find truth in me, follow me. I am the light of the world. So this is his last message that we see in his public ministry. I'd like to focus the remainder of this message on something that took place here in this scripture before Jesus made his way to Jerusalem. Look with me at John chapter 12, verses one through eight, where I put together a title for this sermon. I'd like, I'd like you to write this title down, A Contrast of Values. A Contrast of Values. Verse one, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. 
This beautiful scene at this dinner table is sandwiched between plots to kill, to arrest and kill Jesus and even kill Lazarus as well. So we see even among this toxic week of rejection that Jesus is going to face, we see the devotion of a few and it fills the air like a purifying aroma. We see here where there is hostility in Jesus' life, there's also fidelity. And the stench of Lazarus' tomb is now this sweet aroma of faithfulness and devotion. One scholar writes this, foot washing in the ancient world was a despicable, slave-worthy task. A Jewish server ought not to be forced to such slave work. Therefore, in Jewish custom, foot washing was only known as the work of a non-Jewish slave. But when done from free will, it can also express the love between two free persons. So in Israel, a woman could wash her husband's feet, children could wash their father's feet, students could wash their rabbi's feet. It was a showing of honor. This expensive perfume might have cost Mary her entire life savings. And oil was normally poured on the head, but this anointing was poured on Jesus' feet. This is probably an act of utter humility. Mary got as low as she could possibly get as she anointed Jesus. And even more striking is that this Jewish woman would never let down her hair in public, but she did in order to dry Jesus' feet. Really nothing mattered in that moment other than showing Jesus her devotion. And this perfume was no donation to Jesus' ministry. This was an investment. Verse four, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Judas was not passionate about social justice. His motives were very clear in wanting to sell that perfume. In his response, we see two kinds of greed. The first is the greed for notice. I don't know about you all, but I care about the poor. We should probably sell this perfume and give the money to those in need. Judas wanted to be noticed. He wanted to try to look good in front of others. And then there was the greed for dishonest gain. He would have sold that perfume and he would have put the proceeds in his pockets. John developed a very clear biography about Judas throughout his gospel. And we know that he was a thief, he was selfish, and he was hypocritical. Yet Jesus tolerated his company. Yet again in this gospel, we learn from Jesus to be patient with those around us who are living in sin and wickedness. This act of love from Mary was so extravagant in the eyes of Judas that he felt like it was a waste. 
But again, to Mary, she was willing to invest all that she had in Jesus. Leave her alone, Jesus replied, verse seven. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus is not saying, Judas, you don't need to give to the poor. A fair paraphrase would be, leave Mary alone. In God's great plan, suffering and death for sin has already begun. It is here, I am here. And this woman shows her love for me at a time when I'm already headed for the tomb. As for the poor, taking care of them is good. It's a biblical discipline. It's an act of righteousness, and you should do it. However, you'll have plenty of opportunity to demonstrate that concern. I'll be gone in a week. This passage reveals this vast contrast of values in Mary and in Judas. Mary gave her absolute best to help prepare Jesus for his death, while the greed of Judas would result in Jesus' death. It ultimately begs the question, as I read this story in scripture, what is Jesus worth to me? What is Jesus worth to me? We know what Jesus was worth to Paul. Philippians 3, 7 and 8, we read, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Life that displays the worth of Christ is to value Christ more than life. Life that displays the worth of Christ is to value Christ more than this life. In a conversation with a friend last week, he said to me, Adam, if God asked me for everything I had, even my family, I hope I would say yes, Lord, and give it all to the Lord. I hope that's true for all of us, because to display the supreme value of Jesus in our lives is to treasure him above all things, to treasure Christ above everything. This is why Paul wrote in Philippians 1 that death is actually gain. Nothing in this life compares to our eternal hope in Jesus Christ. So, I'm challenging you now. Examine your heart. Examine your heart to see if Christ has any competition. He's not supremely valued in our lives if we deliberately minimize our suffering and maximize our comfort. He's not supremely valued if we trust in the bread that perishes or lay up treasures on earth. He's not supremely valued if we strive for the praise of man instead of to please our Lord, if we ignore those who are sick and suffering, if we avoid the widow and the orphan, if we fail to love our neighbor, 
if we cling to our wallets and our checkbooks while the poor go hungry. John chapter 12 asks us all, what is Jesus worth? Hopefully our answer is like Paul's. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He is the supreme, all-satisfying treasure of life. May it be so for you and for me. Let's worship together. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.